A Song Can Change Your Life is made possible by a grant from the Fulton County Virtual Arts Initiative. Recognizing the therapeutic value of the arts and the need to support the creative community during the COVID pandemic, the Fulton County Virtual Arts Initiative offers operational support to enhance the art sector's ability to present virtual arts programs and creative engagement opportunities for Fulton County residents and visitors. A Song Can Change Your Life is recorded in the Black Box at the Alpharetta Arts Center, located at 238 Canton Street, Alpharetta. To learn more about programs and events at the Alpharetta Arts Center, go to alpharetta.ga.us and search Art Center or click the link located on our website, asongcanchangeyourlife.com. Hello, and welcome to A Song Can Change Your Life, where we talk with one songwriter, one-on-one, about one of their songs. My name is James, and we're coming to you from the Black Box at the Alpharetta Arts Center in beautiful Alpharetta, Georgia. Our show is brought to you by Home by Dark, the city of Alpharetta, Georgia, Fulton County Arts and Culture, and Arts Alpharetta. My guest today is singer, songwriter, and author Cindy Morgan. Cindy is a two-time Grammy nominee, a 13-time Dove Award winner, and a recipient of the prestigious Songwriter of the Year trophy. She has 21 number one radio hits to her credit and has penned songs for notable artists including David Archuleta, Vince Gill, India Ari, T.J. Shepard, Rascal Flatts, Ricky Skaggs, Amy Grant, Glenn Campbell, Mandisa, Natalie Grant, Michael W. Smith, Pointa Grace, Brandon Heath, Chris Allen, and many others. In 2017, Morgan's song, Bird in a Cage, was performed by Robert Redford in the movie Blind, starring Alec Baldwin and Demi Moore. Cindy has authored three books and is the co-creator of the charitable Hymns for Hunger Tour, which has raised awareness and resources for hunger relief organizations across the globe. On this episode of A Song Can Change Your Life, I sit down with Cindy to discuss her deeply personal song, Dear Life. Cindy Morgan, 
Welcome to uh, A Song Can Change Your Life. Welcome back to Alpharetta. Thank you. I'm so happy. You've been here before. Oh, yes. It's such a beautiful little town. I forgot how quaint and charming it was. Yeah, and this, and this facility is pretty cool, too. Yeah, it? and this is new, right? Relatively new, yeah. yeah. It was an old library they converted to an art center, That's and so this cool. black box is, is really one of the cool features of this place. I love it. I love and it. you wore the shawl to match the... I did, you know. <laughs> You're so fashion <laughs> Hey, you grew up in East Tennessee, is that right? Mm-hmm. And I'm very curious, because I, I know a little bit about you. I, I think you grew up in a log cabin. Yes, could, would you just describe <laughs> what it was like your childhood, like or your adult, what growing up in East Tennessee in a log cabin was yeah. like? Yeah, East Tennessee in a log cabin. So the way my family was, my my parents are both from Harlan County, Kentucky. Mm-hmm. So that's like where all the documentaries were yeah. made about murder and moonshine, you know, and the uh, and the coal mining, right? Yes, yeah. and coal mining. And so my my parents were very much. A part of that culture, and um, and actually, for the last six plus years, I've been working on like a a record documentary about um, my family, my my grandfather specifically, and just the life that they lived there. And so, I've really dug into it quite a bit. And so, for me, you know, my parents growing up in the middle of nowhere in Kentucky, it meant that. Uh, we have to find somewhere in the middle of nowhere to live in East Tennessee. So it was like they were always seeking out like the the dirt road with the most potholes as far away from everything really? as possible. And so, and then like go a little farther and then let's build a house there. <laughs> you know, so they were very much isolators. Uh-huh. So we lived... You know, on this in this tiny little cabin that had been built by by a guy named Bob Odell, and uh, you know a, a lot of acres, and uh, yeah, so it was like it was a two bedroom log cabin with a wood burn a wood burning cook stove. The fireplace was all. How warm. many of you were in the house? With this? So it was uh, me, my my brother had was in the army at that point, and my so I think uh, my two sisters. So like. Six of us. In a two-room house in a log cabin in a remote part of East Tennessee. Yes. Wow. Yeah. And I remember one specific uh, time when my dad got in this feud with the electric company because we'd gotten like a bill for $500, and he was like, hey. It's impossible. (laughs) (laughs) It's not possible. And they're like, the computer says it's right. And he's like, the computer is wrong. Well, you either pay it. You know, my dad's a mechanic. Trying to you know support all mm-hmm. of us and uh, and on bare bones and well you pay it or we're shutting it off and he's like shut it down you know and so we we lived for six months without electricity really yeah and um, and uh, we had a generator and so my dad would like plug it in for an hour at night and so that we could watch the news maybe watch the Andy Griffith show mm-hmm. and. Uh, you know, I could blow dry my hair. And that was kind of it. And um, so we we kind of lived like pioneers for a while. Wow. And it was really cool. And um, I just remember um, in the winter, my dad would get up and he would build a big fire. And it was just so cold, you know. But he would build a big fire long before I got up. Mm-hmm. And so I would get up and like run to the fireplace and stand there and warm up and... 
So I'm kind of grateful for that experience. Um, you know, it, was, it had a, a river that ran around it. But and that's not an easy experience either. It didn't feel hard to me. Yeah. It did not feel difficult because, uh, I mean, I think any experience, and when that happened, uh, most of my siblings had had left the nest. So it was kind of me and my dad, and I think my sister Tammy at that point. But, you know, it was an experience in terms of like, like what we're talking about mm-hmm. in that returning to a sense of simplicity. Mm-hmm. And, and you didn't know anything else. Right. I didn't really know anything else. I right. mean, um, and so, and, and you know, I mean, yeah, we were really excited when the power came back on, but there was a little part of me that was sad. Mm-hmm. Did you have, so did you have, did you have other kids to play with when you grew up in the oh, area? Oh, no. I mean, there so, you, were, so it was just, you guys were yeah. really isolated. So mm-hmm. I'm curious about, so I know your dad was a musician too, mm-hmm. correct? And your mom mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. So both songwriters as well. Yeah. So, so I'm, I'm sort of connecting dots yeah. of how you became you. And so, with without those that other stimuli around you, it's um, I imagine music was a huge part of your youth. Yeah, I mean, I was a very melancholy child, and um, but I spent a lot of time. Uh, I, I had a little, you know, my little notebook. We had a sand road um, that led up to our our house and it ran along the creek and I would go and I would just sit in the sand and I would write poems and lyrics and I would spend a ton of time in the creek and a lot of time thinking you know just like I don't know being in nature so I had a lot of quiet um and then, you know, my dad, especially, my mom traveled, you know, she was a gospel singer. She traveled a lot during hmm. my childhood. And so, so my dad was like, was there, he was, he was really kind of that more of a steady influence in terms of just being there all the time. But my mom, oh, sorry, but my dad would lay on the couch and we had an old upright piano and my dad would lay he would lay on the couch and I would play him songs on the old upright and he would just listen and he would fall asleep or he would, he was just a really nurturing person to me creatively. And I think because both parents understood the pursuit of music, they never said, Oh, you should get a real job. You know, it was, they really, they were not stage parents in any way. I mean, not at all. But they guided you when you started showing interest. Well, yeah, I mean, they just, they, you know, if I needed an instrument, I didn't have lessons or anything. But they, but they, they, did they teach you like, you know, chords, no, progressions or? No, I just, you just, I figured just it out. did it on my own. But, but I grew up because my dad was always in a band and his band members are still, you know, I'm still very close to the guys he was in his band with. And so my childhood was like them having rehearsals in our living room, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I think I just felt such a connection to even that community of musicians and, and the spirit of, of music. And so were you, were, at what age do you, were you like intrigued by, or did you become even conscious of writing music versus, versus a lot of kids absorb music, they hear music, they sing right. along to TV, but, but I'm always fascinated by songwriters of what was the, when did you first realize that I can express myself do melody and lyrics. Um, my so when we before we moved to the holler, 
You know, I mean, it's what we call it. We, we lived in a holler. Yes, it was called Snake Holler, by the way. Oh, man. And it had snakes. Woo! Yes. But um, I would, I would my dad killed a snake in the living room one oh, summer. Oh, man. Yeah. But anyway, um, but before we moved down there, we lived, we lived in, in a, a small town called Harrogate, Tennessee, it was like 20 minutes from 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 the holler where we ended up growing oh ended up moving but my grandfather Barney had restored this old uh, baby grand and so and and that was the piano that I so I wrote my first song on that piano when I was 5 really mhm it was called the sun is hot well it's factual it was <laughs> yeah and um a little pretty literal but um but it was like even it was like really like there was like minors and you, That's you know it's so weird. But it really was. Like, I started at five. I started writing songs when I was five, and wow. I and I didn't stop. Wow, mm-hmm. I couldn't tie my shoes at five. So <laughs> that's I, amazing. I don't know. I mean, I don't know why. I think you know everyone. Everyone like again like I guess what I was kind of saying about therapy, mm-hmm. you know, and and there was a lot of. Like my brother Samuel, he died a, a year before that. My mm. brother died a year. I was a year younger than him, and he had lymphoma. And mm. so my parents had walked through that. It was very, very difficult, as you can imagine. And so I was a year younger. I was four, and Samuel was a week away from his fifth birthday when he died. Mm. And so I kind of, even I kind of believe walking through the kind of heartache that my parents went through with, you know, his decline, I think that's in some ways what made me a writer. Mm. And that's why, I mean, it's weird that we're talking about this because I think it's kind of dawning on me right now, which is kind of crazy, but I think that's a big part of why I started writing so early because I was trying to process Mm -hmm. that loss and their grief, you know, because like kids really, how do you, how do you process that? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I kind of think maybe that's why. And did you did you sense a, when you started writing uh, a joy or uh, support from your parents that 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 this was this was really you felt that that approval mm-hmm. and it was like okay yeah I'm en- I'm enjoying it mm-hmm. but I'm also seeing this yeah. relationship built my parents and approval so I want to do more. Well, yeah, and I think for me it was it was it is it always I mean writing and music for me is is a comfort. It like comforts me. It it's kind of, it it's my balm in Gilead, you mm-hmm. know. And I think my parents because you know my dad had really had a shot to really kind of go for it as a as a country music singer songwriter, but he chose to kind of live the stable, Take you know. Care of the family. Yep. yep. And um, so I think, um, and you know, my mom, you know, pursued hers, but I think they saw me maybe living out the dream that they didn't really get to. Hmm. And um, but uh, but I mean, so I I didn't I I don't feel like they fussed at me over, you know, my brother playing football. I mean, it was like, it was, my sister also sang. She had a great, she sounded like Karen Carpenter. She had a beautiful voice. Um, but, and my, you know, my brother, he could kind of, you know, he could he could sing the blues, but <laughs> I was kind of the only one that, that felt enough of that kind of, 
I just can't stop myself yeah. from doing it, you yeah. know. So they they were very encouraging, mm-hmm. but um, but I didn't feel like if I didn't do it, they'd have been disappointed, mm-hmm. you know. So you're you're writing songs, you're singing them, but you're in the middle of nowhere, and you got signed really young to a, a, a deal in your early twenties, like right? And that first record, I think, you, like twenty or twenty. Yeah, yeah. So that's really young, and but so how do you go from this place of isolation, singing in the cabin, to getting the attention of folks in Nashville that ends up? Getting, getting you a deal and, yeah. and launching a career for you. Well, I definitely feel like that was, um, I have I had a good friend, Jimmy Bryant. He was a, a singer-songwriter, and he and I, you know, we'd I met him at church, and, and he was a little older than me, but we would, like, run around and, like, write songs. And we were, you know, if you grow up in a small southern town and you want to be a, a writer— a songwriter. There aren't many people in your town that want it. So you kind of find each other. Mm-hmm. And um, he loved to enter talent contests. Mm-hmm. I hated to <laughs> enter talent contests because, you know, he was always entering us in some talent contest where, you know, he sang and then I sang. And, um, and I was like, you know, why are we doing this? Because what's going to happen is like, cloggers are going to be there and they're going to like clog to Rocky Top and we're going to lose because the audience is going to go crazy (laughs) and it doesn't even matter if they are lame cloggers. It's clogging to Rocky Top. (laughs) They are winning. (laughs) We're in Tennessee. And so anyway, so I, but you know, so sometimes I would be like, no, I'm not doing it. And then sometimes I would, you know, I would surrender and do it. So this one time he said, hey, uh, Dollywood is doing. It's like the. It's like the the opening weekend of Dollywood, and they're doing this thing. Um, it's like the National Mountain Music Festival, and it's a huge contest, and you have to do submissions, and they only take you know. It's like all these submissions, and you have to submit something, and then only like fifty people get you know accepted out of like five thousand. Blah blah blah. And I was like, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. And so he went behind my back, entered me against my will. And then was like, we made it in. I'm like, made what in? You know, so anyway. So I, I, so we went and, you know, you do all these different levels of competing. So he and I made it to get, I mean, we were singing individually, but we made it, you know, to um, the, the second or third level, both of us. And then that last, the the level, the next level, 
um, he didn't, and I did. Mm. And so, anyway, and then that night, then the the night, the kind of culmination. Uh, Dolly was hosting with Hoyt Axton. Wow! And they were going to do the whole thing on WIVK, yeah. and they were they were just going to tell. Radio, it was just a radio show. They weren't televising it, but it was all of the the the, the finalists were going to compete, and they were going to name a grand prize winner. So I won it. Wow! And that's how. Uh, so I got a contract to work at Dollywood. And so I worked at Dollywood and worked at a studio in the off-season. And by doing that, I did a demo in the studio. And that was sent by my friend Kirk Talley from the Talley's, was a Southern Gospel group. He sent it to an A&R guy in Nashville, John Mays, who was A&R at Word Records. Wow. And that's, and that's how I got signed. Wow. Trying I mean, to avoid clogging. Is that not divine providence? <laughs> it's you know, I mean, cause it, you had yeah. not that you had nothing to do with it because you you developed the talent, but but it's these people around you yeah. that did stuff that helped you. Yeah, that's right, absolutely. And um, and just just so you know, Jimmy Bryant, he he was kind of like a real like um, musical kind of like his voice was like amazing like for the stage. So he went on to have a long career as a stage actor and dancer at Dollywood, and now he directs wow. uh, plays in, Ga- in Pigeon Forge. So it's funny how our, our paths took very different, you know, different directions, but he also mm-hmm. has gone on and, and, um, and had a full career in music. Man, so you get, so you get the folks' attention in Nashville. Is that, did you immediately move? No, I I drove back and forth. So I would drive from Knoxville. I was living at Knoxville in Knoxville at the time. I'd moved to Knoxville, and so I was I was driving from Knoxville to Nashville twice a week on my days off. I was working at the mall, and uh, and you know they they I, I drove down to have lunch with John and Kirk went with me. And over Mexican, it must have been in the salsa or something. He offered me a development deal right mm. there. Wow. And so then I had to drive, you know, two days a week to come to Nashville and work on songs with Mark Hammond, mm-hmm. your, yeah. our, our, our buddy yeah. and drummer, amazing drummer and producer, obviously. But, but yeah, and then I finally kind of took the plunge and moved to Nashville. And, and you continued to go down that more of a like pop, you know, oh, contemporary yeah. pop kind of vibe. Right, right. Um, but I imagine all along you're continuing to gain confidence, and then, um, and 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 then your career goes into to writing songs. Other people start recording. You know, the list of people have cut is is impressive, and you got people like Vince Gill and Ricky Skaggs and these other folks. And um, and then and then and then over the last X amount of years, the stuff I've heard from you is really, I would I, I'm sensing goes back to your roots. You know, more organic instrumentation and and um, and and again, you're you're evolving into this this really honest songwriter. And and last year was it? Last year you came out with Autumn and Eve. Mm-hmm. Last year you came out with Autumn and Eve, and that record, which we've played a lot of those songs at home by dark mm-hmm. shows. And it's mandolin and and banjo. Your uncle Barney's banjo you bring to the show. <laughs> My grandpa Barney's banjo, which is awesome. Right. Yeah, you yeah. know, it's such a great. Connection. I gotta say that the version that we do at home by dark is like. 
It, that is like one of my favorite musical moments. When you pull out the Barney banjo? No, but like just what you guys play on it. Yeah. Like, I mean, you guys transform that song. I just love well, the it. The Home by Dark show, yeah. those musicians, we they, everyone loves loves it when we have an artist like you come in with this precious song and you allow us to to connect with you and then and then interpret it a little bit. Yeah. You give us that freedom oh, to do. Yeah. And when you when we have someone like you that does that with us, it's 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 transformational for us oh, as as musicians. I love it. But, but it's a kudos to you to trust <laughs> well, us enough to do that. <laughs> well, you guys are very worthy of the trust because I mean, but I I, I remember the first time we did in the beginning and I was like yeah. I wish we'd record. I wish I'd done it on the record like that. And in the beginning so was off this uh, Autumn and Eve, Autumn and Eve yeah, record, yeah, which yeah. is which brings up the song I want to focus on here um, called "Dear Life." Um, and the theme of the show is a song can change your life. And this is one of those songs I, I imagine people hearing it at the right moment, at the right time. They're they're getting dented pretty good in their heart. Yeah, I, it, yeah. it certainly sounds like it came from a deep place with you as well. Guess there's some promises you can keep Where did the yeah. song come from? Where did, where's the idea? Yeah. Well, um, and I've been very, very private about this in my life, but, but um, you know, I went through a divorce. And, um, and you know, no, no one who's ever gone through a divorce, uh, no matter how amiable, no matter how, how well you tried to handle yourself, you know, through it, um, it's just, it's difficult. And, um, and I think I, I wrote this song and I was working on Autumn and Eve and was done. And, um, I was done and, uh, and I was just kind of, I was just in a pretty tough place. And, and that, that night just like, um, dealing with the inevitability of my life, you know, and, uh, and I just started, I just started that figure on the guitar and I, I ended up writing that song that night, having no intention of writing that song. Um, and then I, I actually just recorded it the next day. I just went in and it was just, but, um, but I think that there are a lot of people, you know, coming from all sorts of dis different situations where sometimes you feel like you're just, you're just kind of hanging on by a thread. Um, but there is still something to hold on to. For me, it is my faith in God. That's, that is what I hold on to. Um, and then, you know, in my family, uh, in the last, and I, I haven't told you about this, but uh, my brother uh, was diagnosed with a malignant brain tumor a week and a half ago. Mm. Um, I'm sorry. And, yeah, I know. So, and here's, here's the amazing thing. Um, he, you know, he had his surgery three days ago. 
Um, and, you know, he woke up out of uh, this, like, really kind of, uh, can there be a more invasive surgery than, than having, um, than having a golf sized tumor removed from your brain? Um, and he was completely lucid and, and like, they're like, who's the president? Trump 2020, you know? And like, he was just knew exactly. Hmm. And he had this like amazing attitude hmm. of hope, you know? Hmm. And because we were all scared, you know, we were like, well, maybe it won't be malignant. Maybe it'll be benign. You know, like, it's like you hope all these things, you know? And, and then, you know, we get the news that it's like, it's not, it's not good news. It's not the news you wanted. And, but then he FaceTimes me the next morning after his surgery. He's got his little head wrapped up and he's like, hey, sis. <laughs> and he's so like this bright kind of shining light. And, and I don't I think it just like, how is it possible that you have just like gone through this earth shattering thing? And he is encouraging us, mm -hmm. you know. And so I was talking to him on the way down here and, and, um, and you know, and he's got a long road ahead, uh, you know, with radiation and chemo. But um, to me, he never let go of that faith and that hope. Um, and, he is, and he is holding tight to it. And I just think, you know, in the midst of when, like whatever your situation is, like if it's a death, if it's illness, if it's a divorce, you know, or a heartbreak um, or a betrayal, you know, like, um, you know, there was always hope. Yeah, to there's, hold a, on there's to. a, I'm not sure if I've said it on this show before, but there's a, there's a quote by George Lucas, the director, and he says, Your focus is your reality. Wow. And that's so, great. And I always thought about that in any situation. Um, not that, not that we, we don't have permission once in a while to be down and blue and stuff, but, but we do have the attention, we do have the permission or the, we have the right to, to either stay there or not. And so, um, so your brother facing these terrible news and terrible situation has chosen to shift that focus in a different direction, which, which is, is just contagious, right? I mean, he's just encouraged. He has uplifted us all. Yeah. And so, yeah. Oh man. Well, some of the lyrics um, on that song are, I love, and I wanted you to get a comment on them a little bit, but um, I wish I knew how things get broken. Blade cuts you through, but you still keep on hoping. That could have been written for your brother, right? Um, I think about it more than I ever thought I would, but I hear you say, it's going to work out for my good. So I'm going to hold on for one more night. Hold on, dear life. Is that a, is that a prayer? Is that you're yeah. singing this to God? Yeah, yeah, ex that's exactly what it is, you know, because you don't, I think no one knows how you're going to respond until you're in it. Right. And um, so, yeah, so that's me saying, all right, I'm going to trust you that this is going to be okay, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, the second verse goes in, and no one knows how to turn the clock back. Maybe in a million years, somebody's going to do that. Even if I did undo everything, we'd still be here still here hanging on the brink because we're only human. So you're, conf you're confessing this. Uh, yeah, we're all, we're, all we're all fragile, right? Yeah, and I think, I think, you know, in any sort of situation, when, you, when something's going down in flames, 
Uh, I mean, my brother, like one of the things he said was he kept asking the the surgeon, the neurosurgeon, he was like, what did I do? What did I do? You mm. know, did I do something? Did I eat something? Right. And he said, no, it's like, it's just like some cells that went yeah. wrong. And and so there is that part of us that wants to go, did I, was it me? What could I have done different? Right. Like, you know, we, we, we think backwards, you know, we want to turn the clock back and, and do it over. But... You know, it's like the it's the Eve it's the Eve question. It's like, would we have done something else? You right. know, and no, it's like we make the best decision we can in the moment. Yeah, and then we roll on. Yeah, there's another. There's another quote. I'm a, I love quotes. I love quotes so, too. <laughs> there's, another, there's another quote by Billy Graham. He mm. says, "Don't fight life." Wow. You know, so it, it's not not that it, not again. Wow, that's not, good. Not, not to qualify it, but I've always interpreted it as all right. Stuff's going to happen to you. That's, your brother didn't cause the brain tumor, Mm-mm. right? Stuff's going to happen to you. Um, so now, now that you're in it, what are you going to do about mm-hmm. it? How are you going to move forward? How are you going to choose to focus and communicate? And, and, and we, we have much more power than we yeah. ever think we do, I That's think. right. That's um, right. And that third verse, I, um, it's a very honest one. Um, I thought that they're, they're all honest, but um, I want to ask you about it. I guess there's some promises you can't keep. Later in life, it wakes you in your sleep. All the shattered pieces are burning in your eyes, and they tell you, they tell you it gets easier. So far, that's a lie. Yeah, that's a lie. Talk to me about that verse, man. <laughs> that's pretty. That's pretty candid there. Yeah, I mean, I grew up in East Tennessee in, evan- in an evangelical, you know, Christian conservative home. And, you know, divorce was like the no. I mean, you just, it's not, it's not what you do. I mean, it's just right. like you just. Not an option. Yeah, yeah, it's not an option. And so I think I really struggled um, with not keeping the promise. I really struggle with that, you know. And I, I think I, I really, like, late at night it wakes you in your sleep. I think I just, I was like, I, I mean, am I like a, am I like a, a disappointment to right. God, you right. know, that I'm, I'm not keeping this promise, and um, and um, you know, and all all the shattered pieces are burning in your eyes. I mean, to me, it's like, you know, sometimes tears feel like razor blades. Yeah, you know, and um, and I think you know the person. It's like don't sing songs to a troubled heart. You know, people who are like it gets easier, and you know what. They're right. It does. But when you're in it, you really don't want someone to tell you right. it gets easier. Right. You just need to like be in that moment yeah. and and just like You need to hurt. And and hurt and yeah. uh, and um and hold on. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, hold on. Just hold on. There's <laughs> It says I'm on a quote roll. Um, <laughs> I heard this quote recently by uh, you know who Jordan Peterson is. Oh yeah, uh-huh. and he said um, he said life life is full of suffering and and difficulty, but we don't have to be miserable. Mm, that's good. Um, and that's again pulling all these out of your songs. Like okay, I've got a quote. I got a song quote for you that I okay. love. Writing is jumping off cliffs and building your wings on the way down. Wow. It's Annie Dillard. Wow, that's really good. Isn't that good? Man. I'm just and I think this song for me um was kind of like that. I didn't I mean I was jumping off the cliff going, 
I'm going to really like, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm never thinking about maybe I'll record, you know, you just like pour it out. And, um, but I think sometimes you like in writing, you jump off a cliff and go, I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, but I'm going to build wings on the way down. Well, yeah. And what's valuable about songs like this in particular, in my opinion, is, um, and and why I, why I think songwriters are so valuable is, um, there are a lot of people in tough situations and at the right time, the right moment, they can hear a song like this and it gives them just enough encouragement and, and enough, enough of evidence that, oh yeah, this person understands what I'm feeling. Mm -hmm. So I'm not alone. Mm -hmm. That's right. And I haven't expressed it, but Cindy Morgan has expressed it for me. And so um, that, that feeling of, that simple feeling of I'm not alone in this um, is enough sometimes to keep people going for another day. That's right. Another week until the next break. So That's right. um, Mm -hmm. A song can change your life. Mm -hmm. This one one changes life, Cindy. And um, thank you for writing it. Thank, Thank you. you for being our guest. Thank you. I and, loved it. And I uh, hope to see you again soon. I do too. But I'm gonna hold, hold on for one more night. Yeah, I'm gonna hold. Thanks for listening to A Song Can Change Your Life, coming to you from the Black Box at the Alpharetta Art Center. Our special guest has been Cindy Morgan. To learn more about Cindy, go to cindymorganmusic.com. To learn more about our show, visit asongcanchangeyourlife.com. Our audio engineer is Jerry Knable. Our production coordinator is Jacob Davis-Martin. Our production assistants are Aiden Miller and Matthew Smoltz. A Song Can Change Your Life is a home by Dark Production and brought to you by the City of Alpharetta, Georgia, Fulton County Arts and Culture, the Fulton County Board of Commissioners, and Arts Alpharetta. My name is James, and I hope you'll join us next time on A Song Can Change Your Life.